the really frustrating thing with ADHD is that we often think of it as a young boy disability. And it's like, once you're done school, ADHD doesn't exist anymore. ADHD affects every aspect of your life. And specifically within relationships from intimacy to chores, to communicating, to emotional dysregulation. And if, if we're unaware of this, unable to vocalize what we're feeling, oh my God, the batting of heads can be insane. I'm Emily Goff, a human connection coach, writer, and speaker with an insatiable sense of curiosity and adventure, always asking more questions and using the power of stories to teach, learn, and grow. We boldly explore relationships, connection, and the nuances and complexities of the human experience with compassion, honesty, and a sense of humor. With both solo episodes and highly curated guests sharing incredible stories, experiences, and expertise, the Room to Grow podcast takes the entire idea of growth to the next level, all while covering the uncomfortable topics many of us would like to avoid. There's always more room to grow. Let's do this. Hey there, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. Emily here. And this episode is super fun because I am bringing on my friend, Aaron Bailey, who is an ADHD life coach. And what is so cool about this episode, other than Aaron himself, because he is incredible, um, is the topics that we're covering related to ADHD. I got a message months ago and I, I honestly can't even remember now who who gave me this idea. I was uh, putting the call out there for suggestions of, of what people wanted to hear on the podcast. And someone suggested um, ADHD and relationships, how ADHD can affect relationships. And I thought it was such a fascinating topic. And I started digging around trying to find some people who would be a good fit for it. And no one was really jumping out of me. And in my experience, I have been doing this for a long time, when I... I start looking for someone and I can't find the person right away. I just kind of let the universe work its magic because typically then the, the right people are delivered to me at the exact right moment when I least expect it. And quite literally, Aaron walked in the door. He was, he was a brand new human to me. I'd never met him before. He walked in the door of a, a co-working space that I work out of sometimes. And we started talking and almost immediately I found out what he did and was like, you're, you're the one, you're the one I've been waiting for to do this episode with. <laughs> so I'm really excited to dive into this because we are going all in on ADHD in relationships and we're coming at it from two different angles. So both, um, in terms of how, how, it works for the person who has the ADHD and how it can work for the person um, who is in a relationship with someone who has ADHD and the support that is required on both sides. Not to mention the the strategies that can be implemented. Uh, we're also getting into intimacy and how ADHD can affect intimacy and in the bedroom as well. There are some really fascinating pieces here that I am super excited for you to get to hear because Aaron was was sharing things with me that I had never even considered before. And this is just such an incredibly fascinating conversation. Super excited for you to listen to this one and to connect with Aaron. You can also work with him virtually. Um, so all of his information is listed in the show notes. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on this. Let's dive in. So Aaron, thank you for coming on today. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about you and what you do, because I find your work fascinating. And to be honest, I don't even think that I knew that your profession existed. So tell us. More. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, my goodness. All right. I mean, first and foremost, I myself, I have ADHD. Uh, I have the combination type. So I have uh, inattention, impulsivity and hyperactivity. So that's a lot of fun. 
I struggle with anxiety and I have a learning disability and I struggle with um, depression as well. Um, I've been working really in the ADHD field for the last 12 years, which is hard to believe. Um, and I've just kind of joined this coaching world for the last two years. I, uh, I've been in, I've been in, uh, an educational assistant for the last five years. Um, again, mainly working with kids with ADHD and, and some trauma and I was just struggling with the really the lack of ADHD support that I was seeing and that what I was seeing was similar issues uh, and struggles that these kids were having that I was having almost 20 years prior. Um, and then I actually had to leave the education system because uh, I like to be very open and honest. Uh, I had a pretty significant mental health breakdown. And so I left the school in 2021. Uh, and then during that time, I was able to find funding to take this ADHD coaching course through the ADD Coach Academy uh, in New York. And I took it with, with the idea that I would take this knowledge and use it in the school system. And then one of the last modules was how to run your own business. And I thought, well, shit, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's do this. Um, and you know, so I graduated in October of 2021. And then February 2022, I launched my ADHD coaching business. And like they say, the rest is history. And I'm loving it. I've learned so much more than I ever knew about ADHD, even as a person living with it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I currently work with, I, I, I provide coaching for um, adults 18 years and older. And then I just started providing um, what I'm calling calling ADHD mentoring for youth between 12 and 17 uh, to help reduce the stigma, um, take away some of these false beliefs that they have so that they don't build a foundation of negativity that they you know, take into adulthood, into, into relationships, into work. Um, and I guess my idea is to help these people with ADHD thrive instead of just survive. Because I felt like that for really 30 years, let's say. Uh, and I, that's, that brings me to today. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I, I just think that this, that this work is so powerful because ADHD is becoming, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, more mainstream. And, <laughs> and what, what I mean by that is that there's there's so much more information floating around about it in on social media, like TikTok, Instagram, all the places. And I think that's a really beautiful thing to certainly help uh, reduce the stigma. I think that the, that the downside that you and I were briefly touching on before we jumped on is that then a lot of people are also self-diagnosing. So they'll see like a couple, a couple symptoms in a reel or something. And they're like, oh my God, I must have, I must have ADHD. So I would love to hear your explanation on, on what ADHD actually is. And, and if, if someone is thinking that they, that they might uh, suspect that they have some of the, the symptoms of that, or that they, they may be leaning that direction, uh, what do people do? Like, what's, what's the, the first step that, that people need to be taking? Oh man, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so first, what is ADHD? I mean, first and foremost is it's, it's a neurological disorder. Okay, we we know that is a, it is it is a brain based disability. So what's happening in the ADHD brain is that our brain communicates um, through something called neurotransmitters. Um, 
And one of those is, is, is dopamine. And the ADHD brain is actually an underactive brain, which is super odd because the term hyperactivity is literally in the, in the, in the name. But <clears throat> our brain doesn't produce enough dopamine in four specific regions of the brain. Um, and those specific regions help with attention, regulation, uh, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. And so we, we don't produce enough stimulation, hence why people with ADHD are giving stimulant medication. Again, I remember growing up hearing my parents and other friends talking, saying, why are you giving a hyper kid a stimulant? That doesn't make sense. And this is why, because we don't produce that stimulation uh, internally. And so we either need to get it from coffee, tea, or uh, stimulants such as Adderall or Ritalin or Concerta, whatever, whatever you're taking. And so that is, that is the basis of ADHD. And that, sh that shows up in, in, in so many different ways. And I think what you're talking about with, the, with ADHD becoming mainstream and with social media, the, the tricky thing is that <clears throat> ADHD is, is, is chronic. It's, it's chronic and it, and it affects every aspect of your life. So some people do say that everybody has ADHD-like symptoms, right? So yeah, anybody can get distracted. Anybody can have a hard time starting a task or focusing on something that they find boring or not interesting. But the issue is that that's happening to, to me and other people with ADHD all the time. And it's a part of every facet of their life. You know, I was talking to someone one time and they said, you know, sometimes I don't want to focus on a class because it's boring, but they can. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. They can focus where if I'm in a class that is uninteresting to me or unstimulating, I can't focus because my brain, so I get so, I get so excited about this. It's, it's so much fun. So because we don't have that stimulation, a lot of people think that ADHD is a lack of attention, that my attention span is terrible. It's not true. It's actually that sustained attention, being able to hold that attention. I have a great attention span. It's just everywhere. <laughs> and so when, I, when I'm engaged in something that I find interesting or that is stimulating my brain, I get that dopamine. And therefore, I am able to focus on that much easier and that's why I can kind of go into something called hyper focus, which I just, I shut the world out and I could dive into the subject for hours on end. However, if I'm focusing on, if I'm trying to focus on something that is unengaging, uninteresting, and that isn't important to me, I'm not getting that same stimulation. And if you look at the history of humans, um, <clears throat> our brain has to stay alert because we still think that we could die from a woolly mammoth or a saber-toothed tiger. And so, if our brain isn't stimulated, our brain's going, Aaron, I got, got to stay alert, got to stay alert. And because I can't produce that dopamine, I have to go looking for it in the ex external world. So what do I do? I have fidgets. <laughs> Even for something that I'm excited about or interested in, I still need to fidget. Or I start distracting classmates or my friends, or I start daydreaming about something that I love because that gives me that dopamine, right? And so... A lot of people might not understand the, the, I guess, the neuroscience behind it. And so you see these reels on, on, on TikTok or whatever, social media. And for sure, you can relate to something. Like, I have a hard time doing that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is, it, it's chronic and that affects every aspect of your life. Um, and I think the second part of your question was, 
what's the first step? And this is, this is a big issue, unfortunately, is that to get diagnosed with an ADHD diagnosis, you, you do need something called a psychoeducational assessment. And unfortunately, they go around for, but here in Canada, at least, they go for around $2,000. And sometimes, depending on your employment, they can be funded or they can't. And so I, have, I personally have a lot of clients who are self-diagnosed because they either can't afford it or they're an adult and they don't see the need for an assessment, which, again, I understand, I, I respect. Um, but that's, that's where an, a diagnosis becomes very tricky. And the wait list can be extremely long. Um, so that's an unfortunate, um, kind of a messy area for getting diagnosed with ADHD. Mm, I had no idea about the, about the diagnosing piece and like everything that was, that was involved with that. Um, there, there's so much to unpack there because I, I think I, I loved your explanation of, of how ADHD actually changes the, the brain function and then how that translates into everyday life and the ability to, mm. um, that one can focus versus not being able to focus that 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 is really the the difference and I think that one of the other reasons why so many people are um perhaps in in some cases for people who don't actually have it are maybe over identifying with something like ADHD is because we we are living in such a time of information overload and uh you know content everywhere and like these short videos that are designed to grab our attention and these apps that are very designed to give us the dopamine hits that we that we want mm-hmm. and need to keep us pulled in and, and in some cases like addicted as long as possible. I think that that so many people are finding that their own attention spans are getting shortened more and more as this Absolutely. continues to increase that I think that's why more and more people are also identifying because we're, we're looking for an answer that mm-hmm. goes beyond <clears throat> just perhaps our own our own willpower for those of us who do not have these these um these particular uh, types of things going on in the brain that would actually lead to something like ADHD absolutely and we live in a go 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 society yeah. right it's it's nonstop and you know with with everything happening in the world currently there's a lot more stress there's a lot more anxiety there's a lot more mental health issues you know we just went through the pandemic which traumatized everybody <laughs> right and so there's a lot more happening and a lot more pressure on us. That's going to take away from your attention and, and your regulation. And, you know, um, I used to work at Queens University and there were always articles coming out about ADHD. And I was talking to some of my psychologist friends and they said, you know, you have a bad sleep. That's going to affect your attention. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not eating well, that's going to, that's going to affect you. If you're, if you're anxious, if you're stressed, that can, that all has an impact our, on our ability to regulate our emotions uh, focus, focus more with attention. Yeah. So it's, it's very hard to kind of go through, like weave in and out and find what's actually at the core of your inattention. Is there just too much on your plate currently, or is it a diagnosable issue? And I guess too, like, I do know, I do know some general practitioners who have enough ADHD knowledge that they can sometimes talk to a client. Like, this sounds like ADHD, you know, um, and to and to get the correct medication, I think sometimes you do need that diagnosable form to show a doctor because some people can abuse stimulants, so there's issues with that as well. Um, it's a real tricky. <laughs> it's a, so it's many a real angles. tricky thing. Oh my god, too many, 
Too many. <laughs> Honestly, it's a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Well, what are actually what are your thoughts on on medication? I would love to hear to hear your um your thoughts around that, especially for kids, because I know there there can be a lot of people who are more concerned about uh, children in particular being on medication to change their brain chemistry and stuff like that when when their brains haven't been fully developed. I'm not for or against necessarily, but I, I would love to hear <laughs> your your thoughts on it as as someone who is much more well versed in this. <laughs> For sure, and I'm I'm not a medical expert uh, on on medication either. So everything I say um, is my own personal experience. Um, I, I have a bit of a complex relationship with medication. Again, just from my own history, I went on stimulants as a youth, and I remember I remember loving them when I was on them. I remember <laughs> I think I was in grade seven when I started taking Ritalin for the first time. And I remember jumping up and down the hallway saying, "I love Ritalin. I love Ritalin." <laughs> I know I'm ridiculous. But I remember because I could, I, I just felt great and I could focus and, um, you know, the world just seemed quieter and more, and more narrow in that, in that, in that sense. However, the issue for me with, with, with stimulant medication is that you can feel it kick into your bloodstream, which is great. You're like, I'm on, I'm ready to go. But for me, which, which was really hard is that you can also feel it come out of your system. Mm. And so I would have a, almost a depress a, a depressing crash every single evening and night. And that was incredibly hard for me. Um, and then I went on to a longer lasting Ritalin or Concerta at that time. And the crash was even worse. Uh, mm -hmm. I do recognize though, that I was, I was coming into my teenage years. So my hormones, my chemicals are already imbalanced and you're trying to balance uh, your neurochemicals. So there's a lot going on there. And especially as, as, as um, your teenage years go, you may have to switch your medication because your body is constantly in flux. Um, I'm actually at the point that I'm thinking of going back on stimulant medication because I have two kids now. I have my own business and there's just so much going on. Um, I was, I was unmedicated for about a decade. Um, again, that was, that was just my choice. And I'm back on, I'm back on non-stimulant medication right now. And so that takes a couple of weeks to build up into your bloodstream. So you don't get that kick in and then kick out, which is, which was the biggest, um, side effect that I had. But I guess when you're talking about medication, um, you know, I, I recently have come out of a depressive episode. And so I had to go back on, on antidepressants, which was a hard figuratively and literally a hard pill for me to swallow. Um, but I remember talking to one of my ADHD um, instructors and I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was something along the lines of, you know, it, 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 it's just a tool to help you. You know, I, I just have to recognize that I have a chemically imbalanced brain. That is not my fault. That is not a character flaw. It's nothing wrong with me. It is just the way that my brain works. And it's, it's the same, it's the same, um, ADHD medication and I, and I understand I understand the difficulties for um, young people taking medication because you really are throwing darts in the dark to try and get the right meds and the side effects can be pretty significant from meal suppression or um, not not feeling hungry uh, mm -hmm. I, I know kids who just won't eat on their meds and then their meds come out and then they're <laughs> they're packing the food in 
Um, I, I've seen kids, you know, I know some parents talk about their kids almost turning into zombies, you know, so the dose was too high or it's not the right medication. So that's hard. Um, and I, and I, and I, and I understand that and I, and I acknowledge that, but I guess if, if you're able to find the right medication and because what's happening is that specifically with ADHD, can feel like you're not truly showing your your true abilities and that medication can help get that out you know i had a friend recently go back on meds and i asked her how she feeling and what she, she said which i thought was quite profound was um everything is quiet mm. you know because it's constant yeah and when, when you're able to quiet that down you can actually do tasks at hand because you're not being screamed at constantly. Um, and then you're able to actually sit down and be like, oh my God, I can do the dishes in like record time without having, or, or, you know, I can start a task and finish it without getting seven other tasks started. So medication is a really, really tricky thing and it's totally individualized. Some people love it, some people hate it. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not for nor against it. Um, I'm someone just suggested this to me actually and I honestly never thought about it so I'm currently on non-stimulants I'm very nervous to go back on stimulants just because of my past experience and I have kids and so I can't have a depressing crash just around bedtime that'd be a disaster um and they suggested staying on my um staying on my non-stimulants and just taking a smaller dose of the stimulant medication so that I, maybe I don't have the same side effects mm. um, so I can just get the benefits and I never thought of something like that so there are ways to work with the medications too if you if your doctor is aware of them enough and understands the medication so there are ways to find the best setup I guess for you but yeah medication is a very tricky and difficult thing I'm just realizing I forgot to take my meds this morning <laughs> <laughs> Happens to the best of us. <laughs> so frustrating. Well, that's the thing is that, yeah, I, I just, I always think that, that it's such a, an individualized approach when it comes to that. Like it can be the right solution for some and, and not for others. And yeah, it's, there's, there's so much nuance associated with them. Um, yeah. I'd love to hear more about this, this whole concept around how ADHD can impact and affect relationships. So when I even say that, like, what, what are some of the first things that come to mind for, for you who is in a relationship with someone who is um, more neurotypical? Mm -hmm. what, what, is, what are some of the issues that, that uh, you guys have navigated as a couple and both individually in the relationship as well yeah. around some of that? Loaded questions. Loaded <laughs> questions. I only know how to ask loaded questions. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So uh, the thing that screams at me the first uh, is is knowledge and awareness of how ADHD affects a person. Um, so, you know, my wife and I have been together for 10 years now. And this this ADHD coaching course has, has actually helped us so much because I'll learn something, you know, they what what this course really helped do was put a name to what I was feeling. I was feeling I was feeling and struggling with these things, but I had no way to describe it. I didn't have the vocabulary. 
And then I would go to my wife and be like, oh my God, this is what I've been doing. And she's like, that makes so much sense. And so I think, you know, I, I'd love to go down just a couple of examples of how ADHD can show up in, in Please. some people. So, yes. So, and, and I'll use some examples from some, some clients in my own <clears throat> life, but a, a big one. So people who are, who are neurotypical or don't have ADHD, they have what we call, oh no, sorry, I got, well, no, I'll go down this road. Now I'm going everywhere. <laughs> they, have, they have what we call an important focus brain. So you're able to focus on what's important. doesn't matter if you like it, if it's engaging for you, or if it's boring, if it's important, you can do it. And so you go to the ADHD brain and it's an, it's an interest-focused brain. You're able to focus on what you're interested in. And we talked about a bit about that earlier because it's engaging to you, right? It's stimulating your brain. So I can talk about music. I can talk about space for hours and just love it because I can just, I can just feel my, my neurons firing, right? And then, you know, with my significant math learning disability, you talk to me about numbers and I'm gone. I can't focus on it, right? And so it's important to try and figure out how to incorporate your interests into some of these mundane tasks, such as dishes, cleaning, something that's not fun, right? So I usually, I'm a music guy. If I, if I have music on, I'm, I can get through anything, any mundane task, right? Um, and then, so with, also with neurotypicals, I always have to say this because I can't say the bloody word. You are able to put your thoughts, feelings, and ideas into compartments. You're able to compartmentalize. And with people with ADHD, we, we have two gears, which is now versus not now. And now is about four seconds long. And that can have a huge impact on relationships because, you know, so for example, my wife will ask me to do something and that's in the now. I'm like, yep, I'm going to do it. I turn around, I see something else. What my wife said to me is not now. That could be 20 miles away. And what I'm looking at or what I thought about is now. You know, so for example, taking the garbage out, pretty easy, simple task. The thing I always forget to do is put the garbage bag back in, <laughs> back in the bin because when I walk outside, I see a neighbor, I look up, I see stars, and my mind is thinking about planets and moons, how long, how big is the universe, is there a multiverse, good God. And so <laughs> I start talking to a friend, and that's in my now. And not now is putting the garbage bin, or putting the garbage bag back in the bin. And it seems like such a small, insignificant thing, but as time goes on, and I do it all the time, my wife's like, for God's sakes, put the bag back in, Aaron. And... So that, that can, that can affect us. And when we, when we feel an emotion, we feel it in this now, which is this small pinprick of time and space. And so our feelings can be quite overwhelming for us because that's all we're feeling in the now. So sometimes we can have outbursts, sometimes we can get frustrated and that's all we're feeling. We don't have it. It's very hard for us to almost spread that feeling out. Be like, yeah, sure. I'm frustrated right now, but I'm doing this task. And so I'll, get angry later where if I'm mad that's all I can think and feel in this moment um and to go with now versus not now we also struggle with time it's called time blindness so I don't know I don't know how long something takes I don't know how long I've been doing something and I can overestimate how long something will take so for example I had a client um he, they came to me because they were having a hard time in the relationship. 
it was specifically around cleaning and it was it was it was mopping their kitchen I said okay so what's going on He's like, i just i just can't do it I, I can't clean and so we kind of break down what's going on and and I, I talked to him about this time blindness and he's like, oh, that makes so much sense. And so I asked him, so how long do you think it will take you to mop your kitchen? He's like, well, it feels like it's going to take all night. I was like, okay, but how long? Because it's, it's not even that bigger than this office. Okay, so it feels like it's going to take all night. But how long do you think it's actually going to take? He's like, well, probably about 20 minutes. But in that moment, it feels like it's going to take his entire evening. And so he doesn't want to do it because he's like, then I can't hang out with friends or, you know, do whatever he, whatever else he has to do. So that timeline can really get in the way. And he wasn't aware of it, even though once you break it down and you ask him, he's like, yeah, it probably takes like 20 minutes in reality. And, and what this, this person had a bit more going on because when he, when they were living by themselves, they would wait until the end of the month and do a huge clean of the house to the point that he would get Q-tips and um, do all the windowsills. And so the story he was telling himself is that cleaning takes a whole day. And we have to break down these little nuances of ADHD of what story we're telling ourselves, the timeline that's happening, and then the now versus not now. It feels like it's going to take forever. And so I don't want to do it. And so we avoid that. And a lot of partners aren't aware of this either. And it can look like you're being a dick. <laughs> I don't want to clean because this is going to take forever. Well, it's your job. Well, you know, whatever happens and they get into an argument. And so I don't have one on me, which is, which is devastating because I've just recently moved. But there's, um, there's, a visual, there's a visual timer that I actually use because it's the only way for me to feel the passage of time. So it's just this big clock and it's got a little tab at the top and you can, you can push the tab all the way to 25 minutes or whatever. And then it will cover the time in like a red or colorful um, piece of plastic or something. And it will count down for you. So you can see the time counting down. And I've done that for doing dishes, for cleaning, because that challenges my inner thought telling me it's gonna take forever. And I've timed myself doing lunches, find myself cleaning, and it takes way less time than I think it's going to, which is mind blowing to me. But if you're unaware of this, if the person with ADHD is unaware of it, if the partner's unaware of it, that can cause significant challenges in the relationship and they don't know why. And something to go with that time blindness too is that I, I haven't found a great way to explain this yet. But people with ADHD experience life more intensely. And so when we feel like something's going to take a long time, we it's a physical feeling. It's uncomfortable. Um, and so that just intensifies the not wanting to do it because oh, it feels like it's going to take forever. And so that uncomfortable feel, we need to get away from it. And so we, we avoid that task. You know, and... Um, Something else, ah, Emily, I tell you, ADHD is so complex. Um, something else that, that happens, I mean, there's so much that happens, but I have a lot of embarrassment, shame, and guilt wrapped around my own ADHD. And so when I don't know how to do something, I would rather just not do it than 
ask my wife to remind me or tell me how to do it. So for example, we have this vinegar spray, the vinegar mix um, of vinegar and water, and we, we use it as a cleaning solution. And for the life of me, I cannot remember the measurements of vinegar to water. And so I just wouldn't do it. My wife would ask me and I would just do it. I would rather piss her off <laughs> than ask her. And so she, she it kind of came to a head at one point. And she's like, why aren't you doing it? I said, I, I can't remember. I just simply can't remember. I want to do it, but I don't know how to do it. And so what we did was she took a Sharpie and just simply drew a line of how much vinegar and then a line of water and then some, some rules about essential oils and stuff like that. And I do it all the time now, simply, a simple. And that's all it took. But wrapped around that vinegar bottle was so much shame, guilt, and embarrassment from the last 33 years of my life. And again, I'm lucky enough that I can vocalize that and I'm aware of that and my wife is aware too that she's like, I know Aaron can do this. So what's blocking him? What's stopping him? Something's going on. here, And you can see in relationships where there isn't a lot of ADHD awareness or knowledge that this can build up. You know, my, my wife's talked to me about having some resentment towards me because I'm not doing some of these tasks, but we're able to communicate and, and talk about it and, almost kind of self-coach myself <laughs> and be like, okay, this is why I'm not doing it. And then she can be like, okay, I can understand that. How do we work around that? Because I'm an adult, we're in a relationship, we have duties and whatnot to do. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's so complex. And I mean, something else that not everybody with ADHD struggles with, but a lot is the idea of, something called rejection sensitivity dysphoria, meaning that when we are either rejected or criticized, or this is a hard one, if we, if we perceive that we are being criticized, we crumble. Uh, we just take it so harshly and we can just fall apart. You know, it's, it's to the point I'm, I'm getting better with it now, but sometimes my wife will say, Without, without any bad tone or anything, she'll just say, oh, Aaron, like you left your, your laundry bin over there. But what I hear is, you fucking idiot. You forgot it there. What's wrong with you? Why can't you do this? Um, you're useless. And that's the story I'm telling myself. And Dr. William Dodson estimates that on average, um, by the age of 10, people with ADHD or kids with ADHD have heard 20,000 more negative messages than their neurotypical peers. Mm. And when you're thinking, it's devastating. Yeah. And when you think, <clears throat> when you think about that with um, rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, our, our base, our foundation of growing up is based in negativity and us being criticized. So no wonder we take criticism so much harsher than other people because we've been criticized for really the most important building blocks of our, our youth to become functional adults. And so, yeah, we, my wife and I have worked on that a lot and she'll sometimes say, she'll sometimes preface something with me and say, not criticizing you. And that's kind of like a, a, um, I lost the word. Um, a primer for me to be like, I'm, it's not a criticism. It's not a criticism. So like, take those and tuck them out. I'm not criticizing you, but you forgot your dish here. I'm like, oh, okay. 
you know, that's, I don't know. I don't know if this is an ADHD thing or just my family thing, but I apologize like the Dickens. Um, and my wife has, has said to me, the more you apologize, it makes it about you and not about you know, me being frustrated, right? Like, oh, Aaron, you forgot your dish. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then she starts to feel bad for me. Mm. And it wasn't even an, it wasn't even an issue. It didn't even begin as an issue, but because the story I'm telling myself is that I'm always wrong. I always, I'm never right. I always do things poorly that I apologize all the time. And I'm really trying to break that habit. It's incredibly difficult, but I'm getting there. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, ADHD shows up in, in so many different ways in relationships. And it's, and it's funny, you know, my wife and I were talking about it last night. And my parents were visiting and my, my dad asked, he's like, oh, do you ever... Like, do you ever do the dishes, Aaron? And then you leave a pot to soak and you're like, Hey, I'm just letting it soak. I'll do that later. And then four days later, it's still there. And in my own thought process, I was like, no, I think I'm pretty good with that. And then I look over at my wife and she's got her head kind of cocked. To the side. I'm, like, oh, I'm like, Oh shit, I'm wrong. And she begins telling the story about, so we just moved, we did a significant move and we've been here for, Oh, I don't want to tell this story. We've we've been here for a little over a month now, and I had a cooler bag that leaked and got some gross stuff on it. It has been in our <laughs> oh no, it has been on our lawn for the last month. And I cleaned <laughs> yeah, I cleaned it once. I cleaned it once and it was still quite greasy. And I was like, oh, I need to do it again. And it's been about four weeks, still on our lawn. And my wife is like, I'm just leaving it. I'm leaving it to see when you'll do it. And so last night I started thinking, I was like, damn it, Aaron, like what, what is the barrier there? Why, why am I not doing it? And I think the issue is that I don't know how, because it's got this, this grease on it. I've also, I've already used Castile soap on it and I'm not sure what else to do. And again, when I don't know how to do something, it's wrapped up in a lot of shame and guilt. And I think, I think that might be the issue. So I might just have to say to my wife, Hey, this is really greasy. Should I try dish soap or what other method should I try? Because I've already cleaned it once and it didn't do the job. Um, but so obviously I still, <laughs> un, un, unbeknownst to me, struggle and leave stuff out for months. And I see it. I see it every day when I'm out with my kids. And it's almost become like a part of furniture. <laughs> well, these are great examples. Like these are these are really solid, like personal examples that I think everyone can probably see themselves in in a lot of ways. I'd love to talk about um, the intimacy piece as well, because you and I had a really fascinating mm. conversation about this the other day and how yeah. ADHD can um, impact like, you know, our, our, our lives in the bedrooms, like our sex lives and, mm -hmm. and intimacy overall. Mm -hmm. I, tell us a little bit more about that and how how you see how that can somehow play out for people. Absolutely, and I, I again, I've had clients come to me and talk about their their sex life and, and that they're struggling. And again, it, it's it's so tricky. And I, I ever since that conversation, I've been reading more about it because I've been more interested in it. Um, and, and it goes it goes multiple ways. So some part of the ADHD dynamic that can happen in relationships, and it's happened in my own 
my wife has often said and felt like that she's the parent in the relationship, that she's constantly reminding me and she's taking on the majority of the um, chores, especially when it comes to kids and whatnot. And so if you have that, that almost parent, parent child dynamic, that can really affect the attraction and the sexual desire. If, if, if your partner is, is feeling like, like the parent. Um, and even though, you know, we, we talked about the interest in, and not interested in, and sex and intimacy can be very um, stimulating. However, we can still get distracted on things that we're engaged in, right? And I saw this really funny meme years ago. I haven't found it. Um, I've been looking for it recently. And, there, and I just said, um, there I am lying on my back above the climax. And it hit me. Blue. I should paint the ceiling blue. <laughs> And it made me laugh so hard because it's true. Even when you're engaging in something that you love and, and you're being intimate with your partner, we can still get distracted, right? Our minds are always racing. And I have experiences that, with that in partners where we have roommates. If I can hear people walking um, down the hallway, um, my mind shifts. And I feel like once I'm in my head, when you're in the middle of sex or when you're intimate, it's so hard to get back there, right? And then your anxiety can kick in. Um, and then you're like, did they hear me? Oh my God, what's happening? Or what was that sound? Um, now with kids, we have a monitor on. So if the, God forbid the baby cries, um, and then trying to come back to that, it's, it can be, it, it can be extremely difficult. And I think a very interesting thing, and I was just reading about this, um, because the ADHD brain, the ADHD brain craves new and novel things. Um, because our, you know, our thing, once we do something repetitively, we can start losing that, that dopamine hit. So we need to do something else that can also happen in the bedroom. Uh, unfortunately, you know, some, sometimes sex lives can get mundane. They can become the same. So that interest, that engagement isn't there anymore. And so it becomes less exciting and that can, for the, for the neurotypical, that can feel like I'm not desirable anymore. You don't love me. And again, if you don't have the awareness, if you don't have the knowledge to say, hey, can we try a new position? Can we try a new toy? Or can we, you know, I, I recently watched the, the Netflix documentary or docuseries, How to Build a Sex Room, which was fascinating. Um, if, if you want to try a kink or something, um, just to, to, to re-engage that stimulation, to change it or do it in a try a different location <laughs> just to get that, just to get that, that dopamine back. Right. And so you can, you can really get a sense of the lack of communication can really, really hinder um, that sex life. And I think too, um, that, that, that distractibility part um, is, is so frustrating and something something that I talked to. So I, I have struggled with some vicarious trauma in my life. Um, and a counselor once told me that our brain has a really hard time differentiating the difference between real and imagining and, and, and imagination. So for example, I'd be doing dishes and I'd be getting this physiological response from something that I'm thinking about of a, of a traumatic um, story that someone told me. And so 
if you're trying to be intimate and you hear something or someone's walking down the hallway or something happens, your mind goes to something and you're having, you can have a physiological reaction to that sound that has nothing to do with, with what's happening, but takes you away from that moment. Um, and something else I was just reading, um, some people, some people with ADHD can have sensory issues, right? So depending on the feeling that, you know, I was just reading an article, the smell, the taste, that can be really off-putting to some people and that can make them not interested in, in intimacy. So, and I think the really frustrating thing with ADHD is that we often think of it as a young, a young boy disability and generally within the school system. And it's like, once you're done school, ADHD doesn't exist anymore. And the supports are gone, the awareness is gone and the knowledge just doesn't keep up. However, I always say this in, in presentations I give, ADHD affects every aspect of your life and specifically within relationships, it's gonna affect every facet of your relationship, every facet from intimacy to chores, to communicating, to emotional dysregulation, you know? And if, if we're unaware of this, unable to vocalize what we're feeling, oh my God, the batting of heads can be insane. And you know, the divorce rate between people who are in a relationship with someone with ADHD is higher than with neurotypicals. And, you know, I've had, oh my God, when I was much younger, and I was giving presentations, all the, the innocence and the ignorance of me, I, I was diagnosed when I was in grade seven. And I once said, I was, I was diagnosed later in life. Little did I know. Um, and then I had someone come up to me and they're like, I just got diagnosed at 53. That explains three failed marriages, um, like seven significant career changes. And that person, so, and that just kind of opened my world to, I was like, okay, I'm never saying I was a late diagnoser <laughs> ever again. But think about, think about that, right? Like it wasn't until 53 and then he looks back on his life and he's like, holy shit, everything makes sense. And if we are able to give, you know, this happened to me. It wasn't until 2021 that I got much more vocabulary. Um, like I didn't, I was feeling now versus not now, but I didn't know how to explain it. I was feeling time blindness, didn't have a name towards it. You know, so I wasn't able to vocalize that. And I think a big thing for people with ADHD is, is acceptance. You know, I, I was working with one client who is um, an intensive ADHD person. And so their memory is just horrid. Um, and we were talking about having um, visual reminders or phone reminders. And they said that they don't want to depend on this. Mm. You know, they felt like other people didn't need to do it. So why should he? And so we've really been talking on acceptance of that this again it's kind of like that medication this is just how your brain works it's not a character flaw it's not your fault and it doesn't make you less than anybody else you know for example i even brought this i brought an example that i use specifically for this presentation so with and i've talked to him to this client about memory but also cognitive overwhelm so I've realized that with myself that I can take about three thoughts and ideas before I'm completely overwhelmed, which is slightly embarrassing to acknowledge, but that's not a lot. 
the 90% of my brain is taken up with the office quotes and Disney music that I can bring off of that anytime. But when any important things I can't remember, I was getting really overwhelmed with my morning routine. I was saying to my wife, I was like, I just, I can't handle this. There's too much. I'm forgetting to brush my teeth. I'm forgetting to have breakfast and it's affecting my day. And I found this visual calendar online. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to use this. It's going to be phenomenal. And I thought it was going to be super, super long. And I did it and I laughed out loud and I couldn't believe it because it was three bloody things. So this is my <laughs> visual calendar for my morning routine, which is eat breakfast, take my vitamins and brush my teeth. And I have printed three of these, one from my bathroom, one from my kitchen and one by the back door where we leave. So it gives me three opportunities to remember to do them. And I have these little check marks that at first I was like, I can't wait to use them. I don't even use them anymore. It's just a visual, it's just a visual reminder now. I love it. But I, I, yeah, I, and I say to my clients, I'm 33 years old and I need this. I absolutely need it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's, it is just the way my brain works. And now that I have it, you know, I, for, I forgot to take me today. Uh, and that, and that happens. I don't, I don't, you know, I used to, if I missed it, if I missed a day, like, oh, you idiot, what's wrong with you? Why can't you do it? I'm like, that's okay. It's one day really working on that, that self-talk. Right. And, um, yeah. So I was talking with this client about, about reminders about, you know, set a reminder to check your water filter downstairs, set a reminder to, you know, drop something off. At, do you know how many times I've driven by like the bookstore or the post office that I need to stop at? And I, <laughs> I see it and I just keep driving. <laughs> but if I have an alarm that gets me out of that zone, that would be super helpful. But acceptance for this client has been incredibly hard. And I think another thing that's, that's really important is to, to acknowledge is that people with ADHD, our intentions are... Our intentions are, we, we have such good intentions. We want to do the best. We want to please. We want to pick up that laundry. We, we want to remember to do something. We want to be intimate with our, with our partners, but our actions are not indicative of our intentions. So I want to pick up the laundry. Do I walk by it all the time? Absolutely. But in my brain, I'm like, Aaron, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. And I just whoop. Keep on going. You know, I, I struggle with, I sometimes have struggles with the intimacy the whole day. I will think about it. I'm like, I can't wait. Tonight's going to be great. And then it doesn't happen. Uh, and I didn't communicate it. Uh, and they had, they had no idea. Um, yeah. And so <clears throat> our, our intentions don't, our, our, our intentions don't get to be shown for what we truly want to do. And, and that's devastating um, for both exactly. the person with, yeah, and for both with the person with ADHD, but for their partner, because they don't get to see those good intentions. Yeah. And I was talking to my wife last night, um, and she just brought up a really good point about the neurotypical side, um, because generally the information is on the person with ADHD. However, the relationships are just as tough for the person without ADHD. You know, my wife was saying, she's like, I love you to bits and pieces. And it can be super frustrating to be with you, but it doesn't take away 
the love and appreciation because she can see like when I'm on, it's great, <laughs> you know, and she's like, you light up, you're so good. But on those hard days, yeah, it can be, it, it can be tough. And, and she just said, you know, I, I wrote it down on a sticky note because I knew I'd forget. <laughs> um, she said the three important things for her as a neurotypical in our relationship, um, for one is patience, be patient with me. And I think that really goes with my intentions. The more, the more she can be patient with me, the more my intentions can come out, right? Um, and then she said knowledge. The more she knows about ADHD, the more, the more she's a, a, aware of how it affects me. But like, so, <laughs> so for example, I came up with my own strategy. It's pretty basic and, and silly, but it's called think do, meaning that if I think it, I have to do something about it because I'm going to forget. Whether that's write it down, make a note, put a reminder on, or just do it immediately. Um, that strategy works for me. So sometimes I'll say something like, oh, yeah, I should really do this. And instead of her and I getting either into an argument or to a deep conversation, she'll just walk by and be like, thank you. And I'll be like, ah, you're right. I'll just do it now. Right. And I, and I understand that there's still that almost parenting dynamic, but it's less of a, almost a chore, right? She's just simply reminding me, thank you. And I'm like, yep, you're right. Let's do it right now. Right. And so because of that knowledge that she has, she's able to, almost reduce the amount of conversations or reminders or parenting that she has to do. Right. And then the last one she just mentioned was communication, which is so cheesy. <laughs> You're talking about relationships, right? No, no, no. We talk all about communication on this, on this podcast and there's always more to learn. So that's not cheesy at all in my world. <laughs> oh, perfect. But so patience, just, I just I just want to reiterate so that people can hear this like all at once. So it's it's number one is patience, number two is knowledge, and number three is communication. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the more the more you communicate and understand where each other's coming from. I don't like for example, you know my wife just told me this last night actually, and I felt really bad about it, but I understand where she's coming from. Apparently, when we got together, I Oh, I tell such embarrassing stories about myself, but I guess it's good. <laughs> when we first got together, I was still in that moment or zone where I would use ADHD as an excuse. And I'd be like, oh, that's just my ADHD. And my wife was like, he just gets a freebie because he's got ADHD. And now she's like, no, fuck that. <laughs> and so we talk a lot and, you know, we realize that my ADHD is super frustrating. It's super frustrating for her, for me and super frustrating for her. And so whenever we do get into these arguments or these moments where we're both frustrated, I'm able, I'm able now to acknowledge that she has every single right to be frustrated with my ADHD and, and the actions that I am doing with that disorder. And she is aware that I'm also frustrated by it, but that doesn't take away her frustration. I don't use my ADHD as a crutch and say, you can't be mad at me we talk and say, I understand you're frustrated and I apologize that I haven't been doing more laundry or whatever. Um, and I'm also frustrated with that because that wasn't my intention. My intention was to do it. And I kept forgetting or getting distracted. And then the conversation eventually comes to what can we do to make it easier or what strategy can we implement now so that this doesn't happen again? Mm -hmm. You know, and 
And as, as you communicate, as that knowledge is there and as that patience grows, you really reduce that stress. You know, and I think it's, we were talking earlier about something as simple as not putting the garbage bag back. Sure, that doesn't seem like a big issue. That builds. Can I, I, I just got to say one more thing because I think yeah. this is really good too. There's so many things. Um, I was being coached by some of my colleagues for our, our course. And one of the things I wanted to be coached on was how to be a better partner with ADHD because I wasn't, I wasn't cleaning as much and I was getting really frustrated with myself. And they brought up a really good point and said, they asked, what does, so we were specifically talking about the kitchen and they asked, what does a clean kitchen look like to you? And what does a clean kitchen look like to your wife? Well, that's a question every couple should should ask each other. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And and really, it's like, what does done look like for you? Mm -hmm. I said, oh, my perspective, done was finishing the dishes. Her perspective was the counters are wiped down. The kitchen kitchen table is wiped down. So I was was done the kitchen from my perspective. And my... And my wife's perspective was like, no, he still has to do the counter in the kitchen. But I wasn't thinking about that. And so then again, I brought that back to my wife and she's like, that's a really good point. What does done look like? So I often now will ask her, hey, you know, I'm doing, I'm, I'm cooking or I'm doing this. What does done look like for you? And she's like, oh, it's this. I'm like, okay, good. Because my done was this and, and, and they vary. And so I thought that was a really, I thought that was a really a good point. But That's I a great no one. Clue of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone needs yeah. to do that. Erin, <laughs> uh, this has been so helpful. Thank you so much for sharing so much uh, of yourself. Um, let people know where they can find you. We're going to link it in the show notes as well. But and you also work with clients sure. nationally and like virtually, correct? Yes, absolutely. All my services are either in person or virtually. Um, yeah, and if you're interested in connecting with me, uh, I have a website um, www.erinbailey.ca. Uh, I not a social media person. I am terrible at it. I do have a Facebook. Uh, I think it's ADHD coach Aaron. Um, I try my best to post on there, uh, but you know, it's intermittent and um, yeah, come hang out learn about ADHD and, 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 and break down some of these barriers that are, that are unknowingly holding us back from being our true selves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I'm hopeful that this episode will also bring more compassion for for all involved mm. parties. Like if you have someone in your life who has ADHD, if if you yourself have ADHD, I'm hopeful that this will just bring more more compassion to it in general. And I always wrap up with one final question, which is if you could give people just one piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? Wow. I guess in regards to ADHD is once you're truly able to accept who you are as a person with with a disability then you are able to start moving forward and growing into who you to what you're actually capable of yeah i loved what you said about that earlier too about you know kind of like the fulfilling in some ways these are my words but like the fulfilling of of full potential um, still being so possible, even, even, you know, just navigating some things in a slightly different way, perhaps to, to, uh, to, and, and to really maximize on, on your one's own unique skills and abilities, no matter what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Aaron. (laughs) No problem. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you want more, one of the most common questions I get is where do I even start doing this work to create deeper connections and better relationships? I've got a free 15 page guide for you called Where Do We Begin? This is the very foundation that you need to start building healthy relationships with others and with yourself. This is my gift to you and multiple people have referred to it as life-changing. <laughs> you can find it over at roomtogrowpodcast.com or check the show notes to go download it and have it sent straight to your inbox. Thanks so much and stay tuned for more episodes weekly.